Hey everybody, episode 25 today. Here I am sitting on my bed again with my little microphone. I'm just so happy to have made it to episode 25. I did not think that I would have this many people listening. I did not think I was going to get this far in terms of talking to poets about their work. I'm just so grateful. It's it's just been fantastic so far and I can't wait to do more. So starting off with a little shout out to you all there, but today it's a bit of a somber bit of a somber episode perhaps. I want to talk about Claudia Rankin. I want to talk about Mark Nowak and I want to talk about activism and poetry as well as poetry and grief. And if you haven't already guessed, I am definitely going to need to talk about the US election. Um, and I'm really sorry if you're totally sick of hearing about it. Don't worry, it's it's going to be focused on poetry. But um, yeah, it's been kind of an incredible 48 hours. So where I'm at physically is I'm actually in New York City, which is really, really amazing. I've wanted to come here since I was eight years old and through a strange and amazing set of circumstances, I get to be here for a few weeks and do some poetry workshops and go to the Dodge Poetry Festival and just have an amazing time. And I was particularly excited to be here for the election. I thought this is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna be in America when they elect their first female president. How good's that? So Tuesday night, my partner and I go out, we find a bar and we set up and we're like, all right, this is gonna be great. There's gonna be dancing in the streets. And uh, New York comes up on the screen and it's blue and everyone cheers and it's all going beautifully. And then a couple more states come in, a couple more electoral colleges fall and people start getting very panicky people start yelling a bit, people start swearing a bit, and the mood gets really tense. And I just say to Tom, I think we should go. <laughs> this isn't fun anymore. I think we should go home because I don't know how the mood's going to change out here. It does not feel good at all. And we went home and we sat on the couch and frantically refreshed 538 and all the other stuff that you check. And uh, it was just, there was, I can't, I don't have any words. And that's kind of what I want to talk about in terms of poetry today. But um, yeah, it was very, very, very shocking. And that's where poetry steps in sometimes for me. That's kind of what I was trying to say in my really poorly recorded first episode, actually, with Gertrude Stein's Let Us Describe the way that that poem veers off course, the same way that we assume that Stein's friends may have veered off course and, and veered off the road and gotten hurt um, and disintegrates into babble. She was often accused of babbling. Um, yeah, it's it gives you space. It gives you a little bit of space to just not make sense. And yeah. Sometimes things don't make any freaking sense at all. 
So um, I woke up in the morning and Tom said he won. And the one of the first emails I opened in my inbox was from the beautiful Al Filries, who I count as a friend of mine. I've never met him, but I did his Coursera course, Modern and Contemporary American Poetry, in 2012. And it really changed my life in a really big way. Before then, I was... I, I really wanted to be a poet, but kind of in the wrong way. I, I just I just wanted publication. I wanted a book. I just, ah, oh, i got to achieve as a poet. Um, and Al just kind of made me slow down and realize, okay, this is something to love. This is not something to just achieve at. This is, this can really change your life. And it, it absolutely did. And um, so this year... Uh, being part of the course again just being signed up to kind of dip in and out because it's a really it's a huge thing if you do every single poem but I recommend that one year you sign up and do it it happens in September every year Um, so yeah being signed up I had an email from him and he linked to a poem in that email so he'd been up all night he he had not slept and he was emailing all of us saying hey we're about to do our weekly webcast and also, here's a poem from Yap Blanc called What the President Will Say and Do. And at this point, I felt so bruised and so shocked. And I, uh, but I trusted Al and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to open that link and I'm going to listen to it. And I cannot tell you the relief that flooded through me. And this is a, this is a really conceptual poem. It's just the, the phrase, what the president will say and do, repeated and as he repeats it, the phrase breaks down further and further until he's just kind of sputtering and making weird noises. And that was exactly what I needed to hear. I needed to hear just a little bit of nonsense <laughs> to reflect the um, insanity that I felt like had just unfolded over the last 12 hours. So, yeah, that was where the day started. And that was, that was a really beautiful starting point. So the webcast started at 10 and it's a really fantastic thing that he does every week of, of Modpo, which is the, the short name for the course. They all gather together in the Kelly Writers House in uh, University of Pennsylvania and they've got a live Twitter stream, stream coming in and they've got, um, they've got people sitting around, they've got people on Skype and they're all doing close readings collaboratively with their kind of wider online audience and what you can do is you can actually call up and uh and chat to al and the team just about the poems from that week um so i did and i kind of uh, it was as always quite overwhelming to talk to al in person but i just yeah i wanted to thank him for sharing that yap blanc poem and also to talk about another poem that we're studying this week by a poet called Jenna Osman and her poem is called Dropping Leaflets. The way she did that was to take text from um, speeches that President Bush and Dick Cheney had been making just after 9-11 and cut up all the words, stand on a chair in her office and drop 
the phrases onto the ground and and then that kind of gave her the raw material for the poem. Um, I'll, sorry about the crazy New York sirens out there. Um, <laughs> so I'll read you a little bit of Dropping Leaflets here. And this is by Jenna Osman. Are we on the ground now? Ally cells and I said operations. We cleared 50% of a wonderful friend and enduring opposition. Take the solid, louder. We clearly are loud, we are the postal system. No evidence has been information. Attacking the caves, are you on the ground, enduring? A wonderful friend ramped it up. You ought to open your mail. And it kind of goes on in that way and I just, I adore this poem. It's, I've tried to do this kind of thing myself and it's, it's very hard actually to kind of use these sort of chance operations and, and come up with something that's actually um, worth keeping. But it's very, um, that phrase, are we on the ground now? I find that really profound. Um, yeah. And again, just that, just making that little bit of space in this poem for things not to make sense. And God knows, post 9-11 New York, nothing would have made any sense. Um, yeah, so just not having to come up with with really pat answers. And so while I was talking to Al and the team on the webcast there, we, we spoke about this and, and the place of poetry in a time like we're in now when there's so much confusion and there's a lot of grief. There's a lot... <laughs> It's like people are just crying really easily all around me. And uh, one, of the, one of the people at the Kelly Riders house was saying, you know, for me today, because remember this is the day after the election, no one's had any freaking sleep. Um, she said, for me today, a poem is what's getting me from one moment of grief to the next. It's just getting me through. Um, and I don't want any poetry that makes any sense. I don't want to be told and uh, yeah I thought that was that was such a perfect way to put it it's too early when you've had this kind of a shock um, and I think if you've ever had anybody in your life who's who's you know experienced a death um, kind of the last thing you want to do with that person is to sit them down and say, it's all going to be okay, you'll, you'll get through this, um, and try to give them something that makes sense, they're just going to get angry at you, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, it's not going to work, so you've got to give them space for a bit of babble, I think. And so the other issue that was kind of circling in this conversation that took place at the writer's house was what's the point of poetry today? Poetry is the last thing we should have on our minds. Um, art is the last thing we should have on our minds. We, we don't know what to do, but we know we need to do something. And we know we need to do something concrete. And we, you know, how can we possibly be sitting around this table talking about poetry? Um, which very much brought to mind for me the line of Auden's from in memory of W.B. Yeats, 
you know, the one that's always trotted out whenever we have this debate about what poetry does in the world. For poetry makes nothing happen. It survives in the valley of its making where executives would never want to tamper. We always focus on the first half of that phrase, for poetry makes nothing happen. For me, it's much, much more important what he says next. It survives in the valley of its making where executives would never want to tamper. People who love poetry get to just have the space of poetry because nobody else wants it. It's our, it's our world. It's our space where we get to do this thinking and, and this grieving and this kind of encircling of each other. I think that's really, really important. And to me, I, I don't know, I've been turning this question over in my mind lately too. I was having a little chat with Lou Carter, who I interviewed um, earlier in the year. Hey, Lou. And uh, she was pointing me towards this book. Um, it's called Beautiful and Pointless, A Guide to Modern Poetry by David Orr. And apparently in that book, I haven't quite got my hands on it yet, but he, he talks about things like the way that political poets sometimes get up there and recite their poems almost as if they think they're having an impact on the political state of the world. <laughs> and I think all of us know that when you go to a reading like that, it's very much preaching to the converted. You're not probably not changing many minds. You're probably just reinforcing what people already think. But then I was thinking about that in terms of Adrian Rich's poem that I read a couple of weeks ago and reading her book, A Wild Patience Has Taken Me This Far, and thinking about how activists actually need that poetic space quite a lot because it gives you rest, it gives you solace, it gives you language, and again, space not to make sense. Um, you know, people who do really hardcore activism burn out all the time, and, and poetry is kind of a way to keep the fire lit and a way to make something horrible, maybe slightly beautiful, I don't know. I think it's, I do think it's important, but maybe, you know, we want it to be important in, in that we want, we would love like presidents to get up there and read poetry to the electorate and for it to be used in this really overt way. But I don't know if it's, if that's its role so much as it is the role of poetry to survive in the valley of its making. So before any of this happened, this being the election, I had an amazing weekend going to the Dodge Poetry Festival and I got to see Claudia Rankin read from her book Citizen, which was just mind-blowing and even more um, meaningful to me because that week through the Kelly Writers House I had been doing uh, a close reading of the entire book of Citizen um, with a professor there and, and a group of people and like really digging deeply into it. I, I had not read it before, I didn't know anything about it. So yeah, Claudia Rankin got up and, and read partially from that book but she also read from a book by Mark Nowak called Shut Up, Shut Down. And that was really interesting because I think what Rankin was saying by reading this book, which is written from the perspective of rural America, America of 
you know, deep poverty, disenfranchised white America, I suppose, is, is a simple way to put it. What she was saying was, this is the other side of Citizen. This is the other side of the, the problems that I'm talking about in Citizen also happen for this class of people um, in Shut Up, Shut Down. And yeah, it's really fascinating. What, what she kind of seems to be pushing towards now that she's put this book Citizen out into the world is she really wants to understand the problem of whiteness you know, where, where does whiteness come from? And challenging the idea that it's the default. And uh, yeah, I think that was why she was reading Mark Noet's book to us, just to kind of get us to think, okay, so what is this white trash idea? And uh, what is it? How is it made? So again, in reading Citizen in this group, something that I really saw coming out again and again in the book was Rankin's expression of the exhaustion of living as a black woman in America, um, the way that it's just a constant daily battle to just live um, and be in the world. Um, and again, maybe poetry provides a little bit of solace for that exhaustion I suppose and I think that that is what people in the group were saying they were saying things like you have no idea how much I need this group I just need this space I need to be able to talk about this in a safe space so I started underlining all these sentences in Citizen that kind of talked to this exhaustion there's a section towards the end of the book where she, where Claudia Rankin has put together um, scripts for situation videos, and you can actually watch these online if you have the stomach for it. They're very tough to watch, but um, I think in I think they must come from found text, but they're very um, kind of mashed together to create the poetry, and uh, this sense of exhaustion that I'm I'm trying to express here is comes up in this situation video called stop and frisk and in that one she says i left my client's house knowing i would be pulled over i knew i just knew i opened my briefcase on the passenger seat just so they could see yes officer rolled around on my tongue which grew out of a bell that could never ring because its emergency was a tolling i was meant to swallow in a landscape drawn from an ocean bed you can't drive yourself sane so angry you are crying. You can't drive yourself sane. This motion wears a guy out. Our motion is wearing you out and still you are not that guy. So yeah, just all through Citizen, there's so many references to this exhaustion that keep coming up again and again. So another really interesting thing that I've been noticing just being here in New York over the last couple of weeks is both before and after the election, only being a few days after at this point, but in this time, poetry just is, is everywhere. And obviously I'm looking for it, but it's, um, it's kind of coming to me without much effort. And yesterday, while 
people were still reacting and um, trying to process the shock that they were feeling, I was just kind of peeking at Twitter, not looking too closely because I could hardly bear to. And one of the things I noticed was that Langston Hughes was trending, which uh, it was just, uh, it kind of didn't surprise me, but it sort of did as well. I thought people are, people are that shocked and that, that saddened and, you know, it kind of takes that level of shock sometimes for, for a poet to kind of rise to the top. Um, in people's minds but there are these moments there are these moments when you just need a poem and this is kind of past the point where you want the babble and the not making sense this is the point where you you need something to kind of give you a frame to understand what's happening and uh, the poem that people were posting or at least one of them was Langston Hughes evil which goes evil looks like what drives me crazy don't have no effect on you, but I'm going to keep on at it till it drives you crazy too. Which is pretty fantastic. And I think probably spoke for quite a few people yesterday and today and onwards as the weeks and months roll on. And then today, just going to get a coffee and hearing people talk and people saying things like, you know, I feel energized. I feel like I want to do something. I want to I want to do something about him. That's what somebody said. And then someone else was like, yeah, that's how they impeached Nixon. You know, they just kept the pressure on. And, and someone else, this big, this big burly white man just walking along the street saying, I don't feel safe. And it's just like, wow, it's just amazing, the, the mood out there. But, but someone in the coffee shop sitting there with his editing, just writing something. And on the table next to him was a copy of Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. And I just thought, God, yeah, if you can have any book with you today, carry around Leaves of Grass completely, completely. So I don't know if you are in the babble state, in the state where you don't want things to make sense. Um, or if you're in the state where you need a frame around what's happening, you need to be able to understand it. But the good thing is that there's, there's poetry for both, right? There's, there's poetry that can help you in either situation. Um, and if you're a little further along the line, I want to offer you a Neruda poem to end with today. And this is one that uh, our meditation teacher read to us on the night before the election. Another very tense meeting in New York of very worried left-wing people. And uh, she read us this by Pablo Neruda. It's called Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and a man gathering salt would look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars Wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade 
doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now I'll count up to 12 and you keep quiet and I will go.